Okay, this will be day number seven, and perhaps the last of our morning studies. And I want to call this message Protestant Penance. And it goes back to a movie that I watched back in 2006 called Amazing Grace, based on John Newton. And there's a scene in this movie where Newton is now saved, and the Prime Minister of the day, I seem to recall, finds him mopping a floor somewhere. Maybe in a church building, maybe in a hall, I forget where it was. And uh, the actor is Albert Finney. And I thought to myself, it's an interesting scene. You've got Newton dressed as a beggar, almost, wearing rags, washing a floor. And I thought what the director is trying to do is paint Newton in a particular light. And for an unsaved director, because obviously it was made by an unsaved man, in their minds, when a person becomes a Christian, they have to do penance. They have to do lots of good works. They have to deny themselves. They have to live like a beggar and dress almost like a tramp. And I thought it's a shame. It's a shame to portray Newton in such a way. It may have been accurate to his life. I don't know much about his personal life. I've never read any major material about the man, apart from the fact that he was involved with the slave industry, got saved, and was an advocate against it, and was part of a powerful lobby to get it banned in the UK and also in America. But I think for a good number of people, they get saved, and it's, you know, by the grace of God, they do get saved. But for some of them, they misunderstand salvation, and for some of them, they want to do penance. They feel they have to atone for their sins. And I'll speak about that as we go through this morning. Psalm 51, Psalm 51, there are some interesting verses which I'd like to start with before we take a look at the New Testament. Psalm 51, look at verse 2, please. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities. And cleanse me from my sin. So in the context, it's King David. Going back to our six-part study, why do I still sin? And just very briefly, you sin because you won't uh, crucify the flesh. You won't put the flesh down. You won't walk with the Savior. You want to uh, keep the old man alive. You won't pay the price. Many people get saved and they weigh up the pros and cons. And they say, I can't do it. I can't live it. And they just fall away altogether. Or they have one foot in the church, if you will, one foot in the world, and they become double-minded. But here David wants to be thoroughly purged, cleansed from his sin, going back to the Bathsheba incident. But we can take such a verse, and we can apply it to somebody who wants to be saved. Look at verse 5, please. Behold, I was shaven in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Seven, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So he wants to receive the Lord's forgiveness and he would receive it of course he wants to be in the right standing with the Lord he doesn't want to be buffeted to and fro he knows that he has a sin problem going back to my arguments my statements over the last little while that even after you are saved you still have the problem of the old man 15 O Lord open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise that's all you need to do if you are saved you're saved by the blood you kept saved by the blood And then you open your mouth, you start to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have been doing over the last several days in Bristol, Bath, Cardiff, Glastonbury, and elsewhere. And today, Lord willing, Western Supermare. Not about us, it's not about who we are or what we are, it's about Christ Jesus. So there's no need to do penance. You get saved, you walk with the Lord, and if you stumble, and you probably will, confess to the Lord, and he will restore you. Go to Philippians chapter 1, please. So like I say, this will be called Protestant Penance. And I have a 
sneaking suspicion that for some people, some street preachers and certain evangelists, and if I was to name them, you would know exactly who they are. I think for some of these people, they are probably saved. I like to give people the benefits of the doubt. And yet, I'm always intrigued as to what their motives are. I look at people, I think about people, and I see a good number of street preachers who are always on the streets. And I mean always on the streets, working here, working there. Rarely, if ever, at home. And I think that sometimes their families suffer, are neglected, because they are travelling. I can think of one particular person who is rarely, if ever, at home. I think his wife suffers as a result of that. He seems to be hooked on evangelism. He seems to be going from A to B. And from Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 12, if you will. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I know this, that the more street preaching we do, I do, the more material we post, the greater it uh, can be used. It can be used for the Lord's glory. It can, it can encourage people to do likewise. It can hopefully take the fear out of other people's minds and hearts. You know, it's not easy to do street work. You are very vulnerable. Like we said before, you have to think on your feet. You have to sometimes calm a situation down. I've had drunk people coming over to me. I've had irate people coming over to me. I think just yesterday I was preaching in uh, Bristol City Centre and a drunk Muslim man came over to me. Stunk of uh, alcohol was very uh, menacing, quite honestly. And I thought to myself this, I'm not going to be intimidated. If I back down, I've lost face. He's won. And he may decide to do something similar to another Christian down the line. If I stand my ground, the Lord is on it. And those that are watching the preach may think this guy's got some substance. What he's saying is true. Those that are watching the video uh, around the world may also think that they have to stand firm as well. And here Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was a street preacher, was an evangelist, makes the case that these things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. He's saying all is well. I may be uh, detained. I'm in bonds. 13. And he says 14 again. How many of the brethren in the Lord. Waxing confident by my bonds. Are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Fear can cripple you. You can be fearful of what saved people think. What saved people say. We posted our first video uh, last night. From uh, Bristol. Mixed bag of comments. Uh, some people were thanking the preaching, were commending the preaching. Uh, somebody said that I shouldn't have said God bless you. Somebody said that the uh, way the uh, visual was captured was a little jerky. And already you've got pros and cons. And for some people, they'd be pretty mindful of that, pretty fearful. And they would think to themselves, if I go onto the streets, if I preach, I want to be careful how I come across. I don't want to offend the brethren. Never mind the unsaved people who will cause you major problems. But 12, 13, 14, Paul's very conscious that his detention, his incarceration, his situation may, on the one hand, cause the brethren in uh, Philippi to lose confidence, to become more fearful. And he says, no, everything's good because I am in bonds, because I am where I'm currently at. It has caused others. It has caused the brethren to 
to do more. They've taken great encouragement due to my current situation. Look at verse uh, 18, please. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So he's very conscious of the fact that Christ is preached, and that's the main point of doing what we do to get people saved. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. So you have to make a decision. You see a street preacher online, or you hear a street preacher in your town, you wonder what's behind it. Why are they preaching what they are preaching? Are they preaching due to uh, envy, strife, or due to goodwill? And many times we don't know why people do what they do. I don't know why I do what I do. This is the truth of the matter. We are all very complex people. But I think a good number of street preachers have some kind of an anger issue, are bitter, resentful, go onto the streets to vent their frustrations, fight fire with fire, use the same kind of language that unsaved people use. And Paul would say that no filthy communication should come out of your mouth. And I've watched street preachers uh, become just as vile as their audience. And I've seen some street preachers get into physical altercations with their audience. I saw one clip not long ago of a guy in America fist uh, fighting, punching people in his town and rolling around on the floor. It was such a mess to, to behold. Some indeed, verse 15, preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They want to antagonize Paul. They want to cause Paul to be further detained. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So you can take a bad witness. You can uh, listen to a particular preacher, view a particular preacher, and he may be slightly off. You may be critical of what he's saying. You may not like his demeanor. You may not like his uh, clothing or his custom, his style. But if Christ is preached, if the word of God is upheld, proclaimed, for me, it's good. And that's why I want to be careful that I don't criticize certain people because it's like we said before if i'm not prepared to do something myself i wouldn't ask somebody else to do something i'm not prepared to do myself i'd rather do it myself and say i've done it than not do it and criticize those that are doing it look at verse uh, 27 please only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ that whether i come and see you or else be absent i may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that's of God. I don't know how many times I've done street work, sometimes on my own, sometimes not, and I've seen people walking towards me, and I can see danger, I can see uh, evil in their eyes, and I know that you know, one or two things can happen. It can result in a physical altercation. It can result in a shouting match. And I have to sometimes weigh up the pros and cons. What I never want to do is back down. It's like if you see these wildlife programs and they say, if you find yourself in a jungle somewhere and a wild animal has clocked you and is coming towards you, don't turn around and run. 
If you do that, it will chase you, it will pounce on you, and it will probably kill you. You're told to stand firm, shoulders up, stiff back, face head on, good eye contact, and the animal will normally back down. And I've seen that, I've seen it online, I've seen many safari clips of elephants and other wild animals, tigers, lions, what have you, and they see the potential prey, and the person stands firm, and that person doesn't lose its nerve, doesn't lose their nerve, and it results in the animal backing away. That has to be the same when it comes to street work, not to lose your nerve. Nothing terrified, 28, by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that's of God. So if you can stand firm, if you cannot lose your nerve, if you are able to face down a potential advocate, a potential enemy, a potential aggressor, and not lose your call, and remain calm and focused, Paul says that, It's a good picture that you are in good standing with the Lord, and it's also a pretty dire picture that such a person is an enemy of the Lord. I'm sure Newton was not only a wicked man during the 19th century. I don't think he had much time for street preachers. He had little time for the gospel. He had little time for God. I can imagine him being very critical of street preachers that he may have come across, anybody that took a stand for the gospel. And I can imagine he would be very critical, very argumentative, very sarcastic. I would imagine that he'd want people to, to back down. Because if you are in sin, if, you're, if you are an unsaved person, if you are enjoying yourself, most people do, the last thing you want to hear is that you are a sinner en route to hell and that God is very much against you. That's why people shout in your face. That's why that drunk Muslim came over to me in Bristol City Centre yesterday. It wasn't to ask me any questions. It was to say, be quiet. You are convicting me, like the guy from uh, Cardiff, who uh, wouldn't leave. He kept coming back, wanting to further discuss uh, our banner, so on and so forth. It wasn't that he was interested in our banner. It was that he wanted us to take it down because it was convicting him. And, of course, that's what we are there for. 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now... Here to be in me, to suffer for Christ. That's pretty tough. You can suffer in different ways. You can be ridiculed on the street. I can tell you that street preaching isn't always easy. Uh, You have to put up with indifference. That's pretty tough. Um, In fact, I noticed as I was editing uh, the video yesterday that what you see on camera isn't really the whole story. I mean, it looks like people are miles away and it looks like people aren't looking at me, listening to the preaching, when in reality they were. In reality, they were watching me, they were listening to me. But unfortunately, the the way the camera was uh, positioned on me, it doesn't capture what was going on. And some people may watch that video and become discouraged and say, oh, there's no point in street preaching. That's not what you should take from that video. It's true that the first 25, 30 minutes, no conversations, but tracks were taken. But what you didn't see on camera were a group of people, a good group of people that were listening or watching and went away with something to think about. So there's different levels of suffering. It's not just in the sense of a physical assault or a tongue lashing. It's also in the sense of feeling invisible. That can be also very difficult. You have a wonderful message, and this is a wonderful message, and it's changed our lives, and you want it to change others. And as you stand on a street corner, you feel invisible. The world are walking past you, and that can cause you to become discouraged. 
And what you don't want it to do is cause potential street preachers to watch such a video and come to the same conclusion. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, that's grace of course, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. What Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ. It would be very difficult to critique Paul. I'm sure some have tried to do so, but he was a decent sort of a man. He worked for as long as he could. He became almost blind. He was under house arrest for a period of time. And those people that got saved on his watch would come to his aid. He speaks about that from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, that those that go out by faith, those that preach the gospel, are entitled to live off the gospel. Go to chapter 3, please. Chapter 3, chapter 3. Look at 17, if you will. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Very self-explanatory. And the problem, of course, is this. That if you come across somebody online and you watch that person for a period of time, you think, I like this guy. The real deal. And you may become a follower, a supporter of such a person. But, of course, that is very deceptive. Jesus Christ would speak about knowing such people from their fruits. By their fruits, you will know them. Matthew chapter 7. But even that isn't particularly easy to to spot, to decipher. The apostles couldn't spot Judas as a devil. And before Christ was crucified, he would say that one of you this night is going to betray me. Absolute shock and panic sets in. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Nobody said, it's that guy in the corner, Judas Iscariot, which is pretty frightening. I mean, these were pretty well-to-do guys. They weren't stupid people they weren't unintelligent people they were well-to-do people they spent three years with the master with each other they perhaps grew up with judas Iscariot. they couldn't spot him a devil in their midst a man who was about to betray them couldn't spot it so while it says to be uh, aware to uh, be a follower and mark those which walk so as you have us for an example it's not always as easy as that 18 for many walk of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Devastating. I wonder sometimes how many of these street preachers that go out regularly, day and night, put their lives on the line, or at least they appear to do so, and some have been physically assaulted, and you can see some of those videos online, I wonder sometimes how many of those people are actually enemies of the cross, meaning they reject grace. They don't accept or understand what salvation is. They preach this sort of lordship salvation gospel that you have to be holy to get saved and to stay saved, so on and so forth. And they preach, in some ways, a John the Baptist-style gospel or message. because John was a Jew preaching to the Jews under the law. And I think, I think a good number of these people on a good number of occasions are preaching an Old Testament style gospel, which not only cannot save you, but it will convict you. Because what it does is it, it takes a saved person and causes that person to be mindful or to be brought back to remembrance of their old sins. And they start to get conflicted. They start to feel uneasy, uncomfortable. And this is the problem of the matter. 20 for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things 
unto himself. So some will preach Christ out of envy, some will preach Christ out of strife, but some will preach Christ out of goodwill. But here, 17 down to 21, he wants people to be aware that there are people going around in Paul's day preaching Christ to some extent, the gospel to some extent, and yet the hearts were far from the Lord. In fact, they are enemies of the Lord. And it says how God is their belly and they mind earthly things. They're worldly. But our conversation, our destination, our abode is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were told to wait for Jesus. We were told to look for Jesus. We weren't told to wait for the Antichrist. We weren't told to look for the Antichrist. We are told to look for Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile body? He will change our body. We can't change our own bodies. No church can change our own bodies, our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So these are wonderful verses to think about. But go back to the title for this message, Protestant Penance. I am now saved. I came from an awful background. I was doing this. I was doing that. But I still feel convicted. I still feel unclean. I still feel this. I still feel that. I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing penance. Perhaps standing on a street corner in all weathers trying to atone for my sins. Or perhaps being a punchback. Or perhaps dressing like a beggar like John Newton was portrayed in such a movie. Very Catholic. Very, very Catholic. You have to do penance. You have to keep doing penance in order to appease the Lord. And this is why so many people, I think, have no assurance of salvation. I was speaking to a guy yesterday in Bristol. He came over to me and he said that he'd been speaking to a church in the city centre quite recently. And this church that he was speaking to uh, believes in baptismal regeneration, which we've already spoken about over the last little while. And I said to him, did the guy, did the pastor look like such and such? And he said, yes, that's the man. I said, yes, I met him myself this past Saturday. Spent 20 minutes going back and forth with him, trying to deal with the heresies of how a person is saved and kept saved. And he said this to me. He said, well, what happened was I was speaking to this pastor and words were exchanged. Differences of opinions were aired. And this pastor didn't like what he was hearing. And he called in the security from the local shopping center. Just ordinary security, not police, ordinary uh, security people, privately paid, privately employed to come out and speak to this guy called Andy. He told me he believes in the rapture, he believes in eschatology, was very grateful to see us on the streets, to take tracts from us. And I said to him, that is just typical. And perhaps he too is an enemy of the cross, this man who called the security on this Andy. Maybe he too is suffering with uh, his belly being his God. Maybe he too is an enemy of the cross of Christ, denying the all-sufficiency of Christ's atonement. And this guy was bemused that this pastor would call on the security guards, who have no jurisdiction, incidentally, to approach anybody outside of the shopping centre, let alone ask him to move. In fact, even the police would struggle to find a reason to ask this man to leave. No laws have been broken. But this pastor was obviously threatened by this man's questioning. And I, like I say, spent 20 minutes with this guy this past Saturday and I said to this pastor, as far as I'm concerned, you are preaching another gospel. And Galatians 1 says it is a cursed gospel. And he spent a few seconds digesting that and he turned the tables on me. 
And I said, well, I can say the same to you. And he said, can we pray about this? And I said, no, there's no need to pray about this. People only need to pray about something if there's a need for, uh, for clarification. Go to Luke chapter 18. So let's try and bring this message to an end. You've got two people in the Gospel of Luke. And this is a great passage to go to. And in Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ says the following from verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. This is a well-known story. Two people, two Jews, up to the temple to pray. Religious people, like this pastor perhaps from last Saturday. 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Two men, two different backgrounds. One's a Pharisee, the other is a publican. Completely different. And I think a lot of these straight preachers will offer themselves as the Pharisee found here. They will stand on street corners. They will shout at people that go by. They will use crude and lewd language. They will say things like, I no longer am an unjust man. I no longer am an extortioner. I no longer am an adulterer. I no longer lie. I no longer steal. I no longer blaspheme, etc., etc., etc. And the Lord says, be quiet. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And I remember years ago, speaking to an elderly brother, who told me that his father said those precise words and got saved. That's what he told me. 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That's a great word. Exonerated forgiven rather than the other holiness lordship salvation preacher dressing up for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased going back to psalm 51 king david and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted this isn't rocket science but for some for so many people they want to offer themselves as being more than they are they can't bear to level with their congregations they don't want to say that they are equally as sinful as their congregations and therefore they raise the bar so high which is what a lot of calvinists do and these poor people that are on the streets going made to be unsaved of course or weak christians come across these very self-righteous street preachers with mixed intentions like i say not always clear why they are doing what they are doing come away with this awful feeling that they're not saved or that they're not living it or that perhaps they have lost their salvation when the reality is that those that are preaching such a message are not living it either. Chapter 20, and I'll close. Chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, look at uh, 45, please. Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, 
and for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. So we could spot those people today. Priests like to dress up. Nuns like to dress up. But so too do street preachers. They like to dress up. They wear clothing with verses uh, on their front and back. Some people take very graphic photographs onto the streets of aborted babies. And they are very grotesque pictures, very much in your face. And they go around many times saying that I no longer sin. I have been sanctified. The old nature has been eradicated, which of course is incorrect, but they believe it nevertheless. They are deceived and they are deceiving other people. And here I think the Lord has got such a group in mind. Beware of the scribes, Bible teachers, experts in the law, which desire to walk in long robes. They like to dress a particular way. They offer themselves as being different to the world and love greetings in the markets. How are you, pastor? How are you, reverence? How are you, evangelist, such and such? And the highest seats in the synagogues, obviously being for churches today, like look at pastor up on the pulpit. He's so smartly dressed today, looking down on the congregation. And the chief rooms at feasts. He is a well-to-do character in his community, which devour widows' houses. Many times they are grieving, they are weak in the faith, and when they come into contact with such Lordship Salvation people, are talked out of their salvation. And for a show, make long prayers, praying and praying and praying and praying until you fall asleep. The same shall receive greater damnation. It's devastating. But I'll say this before I sign out that I'd rather have a street preacher on a street than no street preacher obviously but at the same time i'm also very conscious of the fact that a good number of these street preachers in britain and america are preaching another gospel like this guy from last saturday that you must be baptized in water to be saved you must attend a good local church you must be discipled you must be accountable etc 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 and if you're not doing those things Either you're not saved, or you had a fellowship with the Lord, or you are an unsaved party. And such people that make such a statement just cause ordinary people great pain and fear. And they do that, these people, these leaders, because in their minds, this is their penance. I'm now a Protestant, a Protestant person, a Protestant leader, and a part of my penance is to do what I do, whether street preaching or traveling around the world, or doing this or doing that. And when I meet people on my travels, I will try and offload my burdens onto them. I feel the need to do what I do. It's a very odd sort of way of being. Uh, The Bible speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. That's what David wanted desperately from Psalm 51. It's not our jobs to talk people out of their salvation. It's not even our job jobs to judge people based on their walk with the lord we can help people we can ask simple questions but you won't find me ever at least i hope not anyway intentionally trying to talk somebody out of their salvation salvation is from god dispensed through the lord jesus christ it's a free gift Uh, you may not be the most holy person in your town you may not be the most sanctified person in your community you may be the least productive person in your part of the world but if you are saved you are just as saved as a full-time street preacher a full-time evangelist a full-time pastor there's no difference when it comes to your salvation blessings rewards 
crowns, that's different altogether. But when it comes to one standing in the Lord, you are saved, kept saved, because you are greatly beloved. Just one final uh, footnote to add to that message. I think a good number of these people that I've been speaking about believe that they can lose their salvation as well. And that's a great terror. It also keeps people in a bondage, any kind of bondage to a particular system. And if you are a street preacher believing such a message, you are terrified of losing your salvation. And that's why I think they behave in the way that they behave. They have no real notion of once saved, always saved, or eternal security. And of course that leads to all sorts of devastating problems, having to get people saved again and again and again and again, never explaining the old nature in the believer. But I think you've got the main point over the last little while as to what I was trying to say.